0: Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I am joined by my
1: co-host. i um, Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, and sadly, Josh, this movie did not give me any ideas on how to murder you.
0: Oh, well, at, <laughs> least, you're, at least you're holding the theme of this season <laughs> together, I guess. Is it this season or... Have we been talking about this since previous seasons? <laughs> I don't even know.
1: Yeah, Thank goodness. it's just garnered momentum. But, you know, there's no there's no kills in this one. No creative murders, nothing gory. So just this one just kind of escaped the, the theme.
0: Yeah, well, that, of course, is not true because uh, this is our season <laughs> on the films of 1992. And we are here at the pick from our producer, David Rosen. Uh, which is an extremely violent and gory film. Dave, what did you pick for us to watch?
2: I picked Peter Jackson's Dead Alive, a.k.a. Braindead.
0: And this is Dave's second Peter Jackson pick, and in fact the third Peter Jackson film that we are talking about on Awesome Movie Year, making Peter Jackson tied with Martin Scorsese for the most films by a single director discussed on Awesome Movie Year. Which uh, warrants an award, much like the Cordillera Film Festival award that Jason keeps bringing <laughs> to our podcast recordings.
1: I didn't, I didn't. I didn't say anything about it today. That's ridiculous. So you know. you know. we're
0: gonna we're gonna cross out your name on it and write Peter Jackson and mail it to him. <laughs> nice. Yeah.
1: Perfect. We can we mail one to Scorsese as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, when you win a second one, we will. So. Yeah. Oh, all right. So. But, it's uh, funny,
1: Josh, because, you know, the first time we covered Peter Jackson obviously was uh, Lord of the Rings on this one, right?
0: Yeah, I believe Lord of the Rings was first and then the Frighteners. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the Frighteners, I'm going to just kind of call an aberration. But it's funny when you go back and you watch like Dead Alive and the stuff before it and you're like, huh, ah, this is the guy they chose to make Lord of the Rings. I can see how that makes sense. So uh, it really what a jump.
0: It is it is quite a jump and I'm sure we'll talk about that. There's a there's at least one important step in between this and the Lord of the Rings. But yes, it is a bit amazing to watch this film and to watch early Peter Jackson films and to realize he was entrusted with this massive property, this three film behemoth project from a major studio and and that it worked out so incredibly well. Yeah, he hit it out of the park. He did. He did indeed. So, but before that, he was making this low-budget, well, low-ish budget film, a higher budget for for Peter Jackson. This was his third film following uh, Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles, which were both lower-budget films, but he had achieved some success on that level. And so he had a $3 million budget for this film, although in the U.S. at least, it was not a box office success, grossing only $242,000 here in the U.S. I couldn't find any figures for outside of the US. And I don't know if maybe in New Zealand and Australia, where he was probably better known at the time, if it made enough money to make up for its budget. But it was not, at the time, a major success at all, even though it has since become a huge cult classic and beloved. And of course, because Peter Jackson has gone on to this massive career, people are always looking back at his earlier films and are discovering this movie. Even now, I think people, uh, look back to Peter Jackson's early work because they've just seen the Lord of the Rings or they've seen his Beatles epic documentary or whatever and are interested in what else he's done early on in his career.
1: What I can tell you, Josh, is it made more per screen in New Zealand than Batman Returns when it came out.
0: That sounds good. So maybe, I mean, New Zealand is a small country, but maybe it did well enough there and, uh, and in Australia that it ultimately was was profitable. But here it was definitely more of, of a niche thing. And it is so violent and gory, even though in an extremely ridiculous and comedic way, that it had trouble with its international releases in some places. At one time, at least, it was banned in Germany, in South Korea, in Singapore, and in Finland. And this is just from Wikipedia, which claims that at least in Finland at one later date it was unbanned. I don't know if it's still actually banned in those other countries. I mean, it's been so long, you would think that at this point it's it that wouldn't be the case, but who knows? Maybe so.
1: And in Sweden, the rentals came with a vomit, you know, barf bags and everything. So <laughs> nice.
0: And even here in the US, it was edited down. There was an R-rated version released here in the US at only 85 minutes long. Ooh. The the unrated version in the US. Which, at least for me, getting a DVD of this is the version that I saw, which runs 97 minutes. But that's still not uncut. The full uncut version of this film is 104 minutes long, which I don't know if it's even available here in the U.S. I don't know. I think you guys both watched Dave's DVD and maybe, Dave, you have a newer edition or something with the full version, but I'm not sure about that.
2: No, mine is ninety-something minutes. And uh, I know there was just recently a Blu-ray, but it's only international. I don't think it's gotten a US release yet. And Peter Jackson has been saying for a while he's gonna go back to these first three films and remaster them and do a whole like 4K thing. So uh yeah. yeah so hopefully we'll get to see that
1: soon. Maybe get a coppola cut on this one. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm saying that's the original cut. And so Dave, even as a huge fan of this film, you've never seen the the seven minutes that are missing
2: from the US release. I can dream. I can <laughs> only imagine.
1: You know, Josh, you uh, you know, you're talking about box office and this is another theme that we talked about with like Peter's friends, not Peter Jackson's friends, but just <laughs> Peter's friends. The mm-hmm. film, um, you know, this this was a time where you could sustain, make movies that did well in your home country and then find, you know, uh, profits on video elsewhere. And I think um, you know, this also would uh, a a perfect midnight movie, right? You could tour this as a midnight movie or whatever, but I think those days are gone, sadly, where it's like, hey, we made a movie in Luxembourg and the government gave us some money and we made all our money back in Luxembourg and and now we can go tour with it. Even um Man Bites Dog's a good example of something like that. I don't I don't think we have that anymore.
0: Well, I think we may. It's just that despite the rise of streaming and the fact that we see so much more international content here in the US than we ever did. I think there's still probably plenty of stuff that we don't see here that is achieving success in various other countries that we don't know about it necessarily. That doesn't mean it's it's not happening, but but I think in part you're right that there is an expectation of things reaching international audiences and, and streaming services and things like that have the same content in all these different countries and so it's no longer just Wherever the movie or the show was made, necessarily, and that's all the success that you need. But certainly, this is a movie that I'm sure would have done well on home video. This is the kind of movie that right weird, kind of weird, with
1: collectors,
0: right, collectors, weird, weird horror fans would have walked into a video stores in the early '90s and and picked this up, and probably just on the cover alone, even if they'd never heard of it, just to watch this weird movie. And certainly would have been. I would think, uh, satisfied with what they saw.
2: And I'll say like, even before I ever saw this, I know we'll get to that soon, but, um, before I ever saw this, I remember this cover. It is a memorable cover with the face pulling open its mouth and the skull like that. That's one of those ones you just see it on the aisles and are like, wow, what's that?
0: Yeah. And I'm sure I did the same walking, walking by this in the video store and would have been intrigued by it, but it did get a theatrical release in the U.S. I don't know how extensive it was, but it was out in theaters here and it was reviewed mostly favorably by critics. Um, I did not find, Siskel and Ebert didn't seem to have covered it on their show. I think it would have been kind of hilarious to see them (laughs) give their take on it, but they did not, nor did Roger Ebert review it as far as I could tell. But most uh, critics seemed pretty positive about it, actually. Uh, David Stratton in Variety, Said brain dead, and Braindead, dead, of course, is the original title of this film. It was titled Dead Alive to be released in the U.S., but uh, brain dead elsewhere. He said, "Brain dead is one of the bloodiest horror comedies ever made, and that will be enough to ensure its success both in cinemas and especially on video. It's also the best to date from Kiwi gore specialist Peter Jackson, who goes for broke with an orgy of bad taste and splatter humor." Some will recoil from the gore, but Braindead wasn't made for them. Cult audiences should delight in this basically harmless schlock, and the film should quickly generate a worldwide rep. It's perhaps a shade too long, but the aficionados won't mind that.
1: Yeah, uh, whose review is that, Josh? That is
0: David Stratton in Variety.
1: Man, I don't really, uh, I never, never, can't recall being like, yeah, that guy nailed it on this show. (laughs) Usually I don't agree but the reviewers, but I I agree with everything you said in that one. So. Yeah. I mean, he clearly has has
0: predicted the trajectory of this film in large part, as we were just talking about how it would find a bigger audience on home video and it would appeal to this cult horror crowd, I'm sure, going to see it in theaters and picking it up later. I certainly agree with him that it feels too long. In fact, reading about the fact that this was actually seven minutes longer in its original cut, I thought, I don't see how I could have wanted any more of this film, but obviously other people would disagree. Dave, I'm sure would disagree that he would be happy to have more of this film. And I'm sure a lot of fans would too.
1: It's just seven more minutes with the lawnmower.
0: (laughs) 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 I assume that is what it would be. In fact, that it would just be seven more minutes of ridiculous, gross splurging of uh, fluids or whatever, because that's 90% of what this movie is really.
1: But, Josh, you're always splurging your fluids. Yeah, so that, yeah that's
0: me. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Peter Jackson really captured that. So <laughs> Peter Rayner in the Los Angeles Times was also sort of dumbfounded, but in a good way. He said, how delicately can I put this? Dead Alive is the most hilariously disgusting movie ever made. It makes something like Reanimator seem like a UNESCO documentary about Mother Teresa. There's no point decrying this film for being yucky. That's like criticizing professional wrestling for being unsubtle. Dead Alive isn't easy on the stomach, but if you can get past the glop, it's a wallopingly good time. Peter Jackson makes a sick joke out of the audience's squeamishness. By carrying things so far, you have to make a choice to giggle, throw up, or walk out. After you see it, you want to race out of the theater and recommend it to your sickest friends right away.
1: I mean, obviously, this guy's never followed the uh, Kenny Omega Hangman page to your epic story in pro wrestling. I, I knew that with all thing. the subtleties. But...
0: I knew that was what you were going to pick out there.
1: Josh, who's your sickest friend?
0: I think I'm talking to him right now.
1: It's <laughs> me. It's not Dave. You would think it's, I don't, I don't think know. it's Dave. I don't He's one who recommends it. So. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I know, Jason, you're not like a particular horror aficionado. So, yes, if I see a really gross, demented horror movie, it's probably not you're not the top person that I would recommend it to.
1: I don't even think this is a horror movie, though. This is a comedy to me. Yeah. And I enjoyed it as a comedy, but it's not the sickest, craziest movie. I mean, that's so wild that I don't even know. You could say maybe it's not even the sickest, craziest movie of that year because we did Man Bites Dog in this season, right? And you could say it's not the sickest, craziest movie that Peter Jackson had made because Meet the Feebles is literally is literally one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my life. So uh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, well,
0: I mean, I haven't seen Meet the Feebles. And I know we talked about uh, watching these that and Bad Taste, Peter Jackson's early films, which I didn't have a chance to do before this episode. And I know that you did, Jason. But so I can't comment on that. But Man Bites Dog is maybe you're right, maybe it's sicker and more twisted in its own way, but it's certainly not as gross as this film.
1: I mean, this is, but this is like surface level, like, you know, you're seeing the splats and the bodily fluids as opposed to the more subtle sodomizing <laughs> of, a, of a flautist with the flute after she died, right? So. Right,
0: right. I mean, I think you're right that that is more twisted and dark. And this film really for all its gore and everything is not dark. You're right. It's basically a comedy. It's basically Looney Tunes. It's the three three stooges Mm -hmm. with gore. It's not scary. I mean, if you want to talk about whether it's a horror movie, I can't imagine anyone being scared by this movie. And I don't think it's intending to be scary either. It's just how far can we go with the fluids?
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because we mentioned the frighteners, which I did not like at all. And it's like, it was missing so many of the elements that worked for this thing.
0: Yeah. And The Frighteners, I think, is a movie that is trying at least at times to be scary, to be like a, quote, real horror movie and and maybe is not succeeding in that way. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Peter Jackson is not good at, at straight up horror in terms of scaring an audience. But the, this gross out style, he has down. He nailed it. Yes. So not every critic loved it. Stephen Holden in The New York Times eh, maybe didn't get it. He said... The ocean of blood in Dead Alive, a horror movie spoof from New Zealand, doesn't merely gush. It spurts out of necks, mouths, and skulls in angry geysers like exploding packets of cherry Kool-Aid. Because all of this looks blatantly unreal, and because the timing of the shock effects is so haphazard, Dead Alive isn't especially scary or repulsive. Nor is it very funny. Long before it's over, the half-hour-plus bloodbath that is the climax of the film has become an interminable bore. Dead Alive could have been much funnier had the director given the tone of his parody some rudimentary shading and had the screenplay included three or four good jokes. A promising concept run amuck. the movie proves that mad comic excess does not always ensure laughter.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, those aren't unfair criticisms. Like, it's not a hilarious script, right? I would say there's probably better jokes in... Maybe bad taste, but I, the thing with like bad taste is like there's there are so many kills that just don't mean anything that it's tough for any of them to resonate with you. And this one there, there's more kills, but they're just so uh absurd that you kind of you you certainly remember that third act no matter what you feel about it.
0: Yeah, the the lawnmower, as you were saying. Um, you know, we'll talk about this now, I guess, but Though I had seen this a while ago, and the only thing really that I remembered about it was that the lawnmower was involved. That's really that's really all I got out of it. But I mean, in terms of does it mean something, I think they're trying at least to give you some emotional connection here that Lionel, the main character, cares about his mother and the fact that she has turned into a zombie and the relationship between him and his mother is something that they're attempting to explore in this film. So it, it does have some level of meaning when he has to battle the monster thing that his mother has become at the end of the film. I, I don't know that I really bought into any of that. And, and I'll say I'll say right now up front that I did not enjoy watching this, <laughs> that I didn't remember really how how I felt about it when I saw it the first time. But I figured it would be fun. And I am kind of with Stephen Holden in that I found it just interminably boring. I found this movie repetitive and dull, and I did not enjoy it. So (laughs) maybe I'm with the stick in the mud here, but that was kind of the way that I felt. And so those efforts to maybe make you care about the relationships did not work for me. But they are making those efforts, I think
1: and i was up and down on it until that third act and then i was just like yeah i'm all in on this thing now so
0: right and it seems like that is a common reaction from some critics and also i just looking through like letterboxd and stuff a lot of people talking about how the third act is really what makes it work and just the 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 orgy of blood and the you think it's gone you think this movie is over the top and then you have no idea how over the top yeah. it can get i love that yeah so you know and take I, the shot i respect that even if i did not enjoy watching so i mean
1: also like i wonder if the fact that like he's not in hollywood he's in the furthest thing from hollywood it's 1992 like he you know we as we talked about with lord of the rings he basically built an entire industry down there right so like he's working in the remotest part of the earth right and um he's just i guess there's no rules maybe he's thinking like i gotta take the biggest shot that i can
0: yeah, and I totally respect that. Um and again, I can I feel like I was impressed with the achievement of this film even if I was just ready for it to be over. So um, that's that's the best I can say about it. So so Dave, this was your pick. Obviously this is a movie that you love. Did you discover this in a video store as a teenager?
2: Yeah, I had, um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about Evil Dead through this conversation, but um, I had just come into the Evil Dead films from seeing Army of Darkness just randomly, not even knowing it was a sequel of the Evil Dead movies, and then going back, watching Evil Dead 1 and 2, and then finding an article somewhere, it might have been Entertainment Weekly or something of of that moment. Premiere? Maybe. uh, That basically was talking about the other most gory movies that you could possibly find and this was on that list and uh i went out and found it and watched it and just you know absolutely blown away
1: do you remember any others from the list
2: uh i'm pretty sure reanimator is on there um return of the living dead i think was on there which i love too i mean that's a great movie maybe that'll be a dave's pick one day but uh yeah yeah i think those were like the other main ones So did you just
0: go and watch every most gory movie ever that you could find?
2: Oh, yeah. And I was insatiable (laughs) for this stuff at that moment. Like, you know, 13-year-old me. um, And, of course, this was the time of, like, Mortal Kombat and things like that. Like, gore was, like, it was the, the most exciting thing in entertainment for a kid like me.
1: <laughs> I love I love how he says of course this was the time of, you know, Mortal Kombat. Like he didn't just pants over Mortal Kombat last year on yeah. HBO. Max. I
2: sure did. I sure did.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. well this is something Dave that you you still love, right? I know how excited you are for the new whatever spin-off or whatever the hell it is of Evil Dead and mm-hmm. I would imagine that if Peter Jackson returned to this style of filmmaking, you'd be excited to see it.
2: As he's promised for years and years, and i uh, that's keeping
1: me alive, waiting for it. Um, I'm excited <laughs> for that. Like, come on, dude. Eight hours of The Beatles is cool, but like, show me what you got now. Yeah, but yes. what
0: about eight hours of gore?
2: Cause that's yes, that's <laughs> what we need, man. That's something yeah. right there.
1: Dave, did you watch this and then go back and watch Bad Taste and Meet the Feebles? So they were not
2: available unless like you knew some cool guy with it on a VHS or something like that. Like, and I didn't know anybody cause I was just some weirdo kid, but, um, I couldn't until the DVDs that you borrowed from me came out, which was in 2002. Um, they were completely like unavailable, those two movies to, to see. And I waited and waited and waited and I ordered those the second they went on sale
1: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I—they're great. They're awesome. Man. It's uh, it's interesting that your definition of cool is the guy in the neighborhood with these three Peter Jackson. Uh, is, you know, is there anything cooler than them? that, Jason?
2: Come on.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure it's the kind of thing that if you went to like a, like a comic con, you know, they would have bootleg VHS tapes of those movies available yeah. to buy somewhere or whatever.
1: I re- I mean, I don't remember this one, but I remember Meet the Feebles. I remember the commercials when we were kids, Really? like it got a theatrical mm-hmm. release. It was, uh, yeah, I remember those clearly. So. Wow.
0: Yeah. I don't remember huh. that at all. And those movies I was completely unaware of at the time I did know about this movie. Like Dave was saying, I think I probably saw the the cover in the video store or something, but I didn't end up seeing it until I think it was when I was in college and a friend of mine was really excited. I, I was at his house and he had rented it, or maybe he even owned it, or something. It was like we got. He was a
1: cool guy. He was. That's he was, right.
0: Yes, he'd <laughs> be happy to hear you say that because he was not. Um, yeah, that's but,
1: my point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but he was really excited. I don't know why he had seen it, and he's not like a movie guy at all. But for some reason, he had seen this movie and was excited about it, and we watched it together. And I like I said, I don't quite remember my reaction at the time, but I don't think it was as negative as this time, where again I started watching it. I was just like, man, I am not into this at all.
1: So yeah, um, Josh, you've definitely become the, Hey, you kids get off my lawn guy. I sure have.
0: I sure have. Although I was, I was largely, uh, on my way there, even when I was in college seeing this the first time. So Jason, had you seen this one before?
1: No, I had never seen any of these three. And I watched them all back to back to back. So Dave, you got to be proud of me for that. I right am there. Hell so
0: yeah. <laughs> you're um... now sick and corrupted by films <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, because that was what was missing. Yes, from my life. These films were the the ones that took it over the edge. But um, and it's interesting because it's like watching all three. I I like um, you know, I have different uh uh rates of affection for each of them i'd say was
0: was this your favorite of those early peter jackson i think
1: i think this is my favorite as far as a movie goes meet the Feebles is just like i said so um (laughs) it's just so nuts like i have to respect it so i like it as much maybe not from a movie standpoint but just like how just bad shit it is. And then Bad Taste is just meh. It's like a student film. That's very long.
0: Yeah, I've, I've seen parts of Bad Taste. I think, as I mentioned, in a bar one time when they were having like a movie night that I was writing about and they were showing this on TVs in a bar, but I didn't really pay attention to it. So I don't really remember very much. And I think
1: Bad Taste delivers the jokes better than this one. But this one, you know, the production is is awesome, obviously. And then Meet the Feebles is like, I don't even think they wanted um, to attract anyone. They wanted to just like, you know, make everyone just uh, they wanted to repel everyone. And that's what attracted me towards it. So
0: Yeah, I mean, I and I would say that even though I, I didn't enjoy this, I'm still very curious to see those other films and and I'll try to check them out at some point in the future. So anything else about the background of this film that you want to mention, Jason?
1: Uh, Josh, did you ever see the 1990 film Braindead starring Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman and George Kennedy?
0: I did not, but I'm I'm excited that Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman were in a movie together.
1: (laughs) I know that does excite me as well. No, uh, I didn't either. Josh, Um, that climax that we're talking about used five gallons of blood per second and seventy nine point two gallons of blood for the entire (laughs) sequence. You know, that's what they say anyway. Yeah. And yeah, the other thing about it, and I think you would say the same. When you watch this, it's hard not to think of Shaun of the Dead, right?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's an influence um, on Shaun of the Dead. Absolutely. I think Edgar Wright or Simon Pegg have, have said that. And it makes yeah. sense. It makes absolute sense. Yeah. Right. Zombie comedy is exactly what they're both going for. I would say that Shaun of the Dead is more sophisticated, although less gory. All right. So uh, we'll come back then in a moment and talk more of our general thoughts on Dead Alive. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1992, we are talking about our producer David Rosen's pick, Dead Alive, a.k.a. Braindead, from Peter Jackson. And... Dave, I mean, you you've gushed over, gushed much like the mm. blood in this film, uh, yeah. your love of this movie. but uh, what 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 is your favorite thing about this, or what what makes it so great as far as you're concerned?
2: I mean, obviously, it's the creativity of the gore. I mean, I do find this movie to be really funny. Um, I think there's a lot of comedy in the first couple of acts that works for me, but in a very looney Tunes way. I mean, it's ridiculous. and Yes, there are things that easily could be criticized about this movie. You know, the the love story is whatever, the 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 whole drama with the with the mom is whatever, but it's the creativity of of making a movie like this and going as far as can possibly be gone. I mean, like I said, that article that took me to this movie was mentioning it amongst some of the most gory movies. And I've over the years watched a lot of other ones that um, you know get that reputation of being so insanely over the top and gory, none of them come close to this. And even if they maybe have more blood flowing or maybe are more disturbing or more horrific, they're not as like fun on the gore department. They're not as creative. They're not as, uh, you know, in- interesting in the way that they they incorporate all of this crazy shit. And that that's what makes this movie just so rewatchable for me. And uh, again, you know, you guys were talking about like, oh, okay, now I kind of see why someone like Peter Jackson would get the Lord of the Rings movies. I mean, this shows that he could do a lot with, you know, his creativity and his team.
1: I was saying I don't see how he got the Lord (laughs) of the Rings from this, Dave. That was my point is, like it really took a, a leap of faith there and he delivered. But I don't think you would watch these and be like, yeah, this is the guy to do. Uh, this $300 million project. And yeah. uh, and and also, uh, I don't think he would say that based on his past work either, but he nailed it for sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I mean, I think even if tonally, this is obviously very, very different from the Lord of the Rings movies. I think Dave's right in that this shows the resourcefulness as right. a filmmaker from a technical standpoint. And we think now of those Lord of the Rings as some of the biggest movies of all time, but at the time, that was a huge risk for the studio. And it didn't have I mean, it had a much bigger budget than this movie did, but it didn't necessarily have the same level of budget as the biggest blockbuster films. And so to say, hey, we're only going to give you hundred million dollars to make this movie or whatever, when really people might expect 200 million or something like that. But you're the guy who can stretch that money and use those resources to make this look bigger than it is to look more impressive than what we've given you to work with.
1: You don't think they were like, "Hey, uh, you know who we should get? That guy who did that scene where the zombie priest fucks the uh, zombie old lady." That's the one we <laughs> should get for Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a uh, that's a that's a deleted scene from the extended edition. Of-
1: I know we're talking
2: about Dead Alive here, but uh, there's a great Letterbox Review of Bad Taste where they're talking about how like the Tolkien estate having to sit there and watch uh, everybody everybody drinking the puke out of yeah. a big punch bowl and like just these old stuffy people, you know, like.
1: It's just hilarious. Um, yeah, the but, priest, the priest is a fun character in this. Thing. Oh yeah, yeah. I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> right. My horrible accent. That is, yeah. no,
0: it's not bad actually. That was good. was good. Yes, the priest who seems like he's gonna come in and sort of rescue our poor hapless hero Lionel, who I found quite annoying, um, but who has clearly gotten in over his head and is not able to contain this potential zombie outbreak. And the priest. Has this confidence, and he's going to kick ours for the Lord, and he does for like a minute or two, and then he just gets completely uh, wiped out and turned into a, a, a zombie along with everyone else. But he was kind of a fun character there for a
1: minute. I mean, that was a fun, yeah, that was a fun uh, bit, Josh. I liked it. Dave loves it. You didn't like it. You tell us why so uh, you hate everything fun. Yes, I do. <laughs>
0: I mean, I will say that I did definitely respect the creativity of the special effects. And that that is one thing that I, even if you, you find it repulsive and, and unpleasant to watch, like you can't deny the creativity of that and the resourcefulness of that. And the fact that it is, I, to me, extremely repetitive and a one joke premise that I felt like could have been 15 minutes long. But on the other hand, if it's going to be this long, they do keep coming up with new different ways for entrails and fluids to fly around. (laughs) So I suppose I could appreciate that. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing is that like, I don't mind Looney Tunes cartoons, but Looney Tunes cartoons are like six minutes or something. And this to me was just so tedious and repetitive after a while. And there isn't really anything to get invested with in the story. And I understand that that's not necessarily the point, although we do have... love story. And we do have the relationship between Lionel and his mother. So there's something that they're at least attempting to do with that. And I didn't care about it in any way. And I didn't find it funny. And I'm I'm not like, I can respect the creativity of it, but I'm not, I would not read that list that Dave read about the goriest movies of all time and be excited to go watch all of them. That's not Mm. what I'm into in terms of horror movies.
1: So what uh, have you watched any of them that you liked in this kind of subgenre?
0: I don't I mean, I think I liked Reanimator, but it's been a while since I saw it. I've never seen Return of the Living Dead, which I know is a big cult uh, classic. And um, I mean, if the Evil Dead movies count, I, f- I haven't seen those in a while either, but I feel like those are much less gory than this.
2: Uh, Evil Dead 2 is pretty damn gory. I mean, that's okay. kind of what drove me here and what like, you know, got me into all this.
0: Well, you know, maybe it's been a while then since I've seen that stuff and maybe I would or wouldn't like it. But I think what I'm saying is that it's not the main appeal for me, not that I couldn't enjoy a movie that was gory. But the fact that a movie is really gory is not something that's going to draw me to it and make me want to see it.
2: A question for you, Josh, were there any because obviously the gore is where a lot of the comedy comes from. I mean, you know, that, that's it's just so over the top that it becomes funny. Were there any gore moments that made you laugh at all? No, no, no. No, really. And
0: and I mean I think this goes to it less about horror movies and more like comedies that are all about like bodily fluids and I think we've probably talked about this. I hate that. That's one of my right. least favorite things. So this to me is more like that than it is like a horror. Movie. And and sure. that I just I just don't enjoy. But that makes yeah. sense. So I, we don't need to harp on the negatives here necessarily because Jason, you did enjoy it, right? You found, you you had a fairly- Yeah,
1: bad. and I could say like, I mean, you know, there's some fun stuff, the Uncle Les character, the priest, the mom, you know, but I don't really remember them right now. What I remember is just um, a lawnmower just mutilating zombie bodies or infected bodies. And like, I think like, uh, you know, maybe- had they like kind of foreshadowed the lawnmower in the beginning, that would have uh, been a fun thing to do. But yeah, no, I just, I mean, look, the whole third act takes place basically in the house in the backyard. And I like that it's a single setting and that they just keep elevating it. So uh, I would watch it again, but I really did feel like I missed out by not seeing this, you know, on a college campus when I was 20 with a bunch of uh, people at midnight. Cause this would be the type of thing I would go, you know, I used to love going to midnight movies, now I'd fall asleep if they were uh, after 9 p.m. But, you know, like this is, would be so much fun to watch with an audience, I think, at, at midnight.
0: Yeah, I think at any hour, this is probably a fun movie to watch with an audience. And and maybe I had more fun with it the first time because I was watching it with my friend who was really into it. I don't I don't know. But yeah, this is a movie where the reactions, I think, are probably a big part of it. So I will say that they they do foreshadow the lawnmower in that they at least show it right yes. he, his mom yells at him and makes him mow the lawn
2: yeah and then there's actually a shot from uh from the grass looking up as the lawnmower like lands over top and you see the blades stopping you know so so there you, so there shot. you go
1: i i was totally wrong and i totally missed it because i didn't remember anything beyond act 3 <laughs> but you guys make good points there so there you go
0: yeah so. but you know this is not exactly like a tightly plotted Film certainly, and again the relationships. I mean, uh, Lionel and his girlfriend Paquita, the Spanish immigrant whose family owns the like grocery store slash pharmacy or whatever I guess it is. I mean, mm-hmm. they they fall in love basically because Paquita's grandmother says you will fall in love with this man, and yeah. so she just says okay. Like, there's nothing there really to that relationship at all, and. Not that it needs to be some deep romance or something, but I didn't really care. I mean, especially as the movie goes on, the central thing is he's they they're both in peril and he wants to save her and they want to be together. And the mom, whether in her normal human form or in her monster form, is trying to keep them apart. And there there is like something there that you need to invest in at least a little bit.
1: One thing I read is in Germany, they released it cut like 16 plus but they cut out like most, if not all of the gore. So was it a short film or what what, what what was it?
0: Right, I don't see how that's possible. And I think it said that that cut was 85 minutes, but there's definitely not 85 minutes worth of non-gore things in this film. It's just, that can't possibly be the case. So I don't know what that
2: could be. Yeah, that, that's bizarre. I, I don't, I, even as a fan of the movie, like, I don't
1: know how that's possible, but uh, right. yeah. And
0: certainly there would be no appeal to watching this movie without that.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's that splat stick, you know. It's fun. Yeah. It's yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's ah. I, I wish I could That's a fun. Ah. <laughs> I wish I could say that it was. But as we know, you know, I, I hate fun. So yeah. um did Fair. Not...
1: Should we rate it, Josh, out of uh five dismembered Googie goggies Yeah, I don't know. I feel like
0: you know, we, we, you were complaining that we rate movies out of horrific.
1: What else items. could you rate this one out? Right, of, well, so. I was
0: thinking about this because, because of course, this is the one that is most appropriate, really, to rate that way. And. I, you, maybe we could rate it out of five uh, Sumatran rat monkeys, which is the catalyst <laughs> sure. for infecting all the people here. In the- By
2: the way, he came from Skull Islands, of course. Uh, right, it was foreshadowing a, uh... there.
0: Yes, right. which is where where King Kong comes from as That's well. That's
2: right. Yeah,
0: and it so. was only it was only slightly racist the depiction of the natives <laughs> of that
2: island. <laughs> <laughs> so no more than in King Kong, but you know. Y-
0: well, in in Jackson's <laughs> King Kong or in the original King Kong? All of them. Oh, okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. But that was something where I was that when that popped up at the beginning, I thought, Uh-oh. And, uh oh, <laughs> and it, it was it was less offensive than it could have been. And I think yes, I think looking in the credits, all of those tribesmen or whatever are played by like a a rugby team of some kind. <laughs> that
1: that... Nice. so did he get like aborigines or yeah? I get... think it
0: was like some sort of indigenous uh, rugby team. You know, like a in the in that community or whatever. That's how they're credited in the credits. So yeah. <laughs> Good for them, I guess. But uh, yeah, you want to rate it out of five Sumatran rat monkeys, Jason?
1: Sure. It gets three for me. Like I said, sometimes I liked it, sometimes it didn't. Then actually came and I was like, ah, <laughs> three Sumatran rat monkeys. I'm
0: going to give it two and a half Sumatran rat monkeys. And that's really all for just the inventiveness of the special effects, which really are astonishing, even if you are repulsed by them, you can't help but be impressed by what they accomplished with those. So two and a half. Yeah, maybe.
1: before before you jump in, but like they're all practical effects too and it, they're a lot of oh, fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, in 1992, they wouldn't have been able to really do any computer effects, certainly not at this budget level and they would have looked way worse in 1992.
1: Yeah, but I mean, look, something we, you know, all you hear this year in movies in 2022 is how bad things are looking lately. And it's like, maybe we need to go back to that inventiveness. And maybe that's why I remember the Michelle Gondry movies from 10 or 15 years ago. You know, I would love to see more stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and Peter Jackson is someone who could do that if he came back to this. I mean, even, you know, well, this is getting off topic here a little, but I mean, even in The Lord of the Rings, so much of the effects in those movies are practical, are in-camera effects and forced perspective and things like that. So if if he returned to this mode, he could probably do a lot with practical effects again.
1: He he could mutilate so many goobies, Josh.
0: He could. He could. (laughs) He would have so much freedom to do it now, too.
2: Uh, Dave, how would you rate this? Uh, I just want to say I'm I'm proud of your two and a half, Josh. That's higher than I thought it was going to be. I'm going all the way to five. I mean, this is one of my all-time favorite movies, so I I have to.
1: How is he proud of your two and a half, yet I watched all three of the movies, gave this a positive rating after hating you know, uh, the Frighteners, and I don't even get a, a mention, Josh. Jason, I'm nothing. proud of you in general, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. not just the rating, right everything. So. All right, five, five, five uh, Sumatian Rat Monkeys. There you so, go. You know, Yeah. There that, you go. That is, so, Dave,
0: where, where would this be like on your list of your all-time favorite movies? Is this a number one?
1: Oh, no, no, it's not
2: number one, but it's it's easily top 20. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, pr- probably mm, 10 to 12, somewhere in there. Yeah. Hmm. All right, fair enough. Yeah. Well, we'll come back
0: then in a moment and talk about the legacy of Dead Alive. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1992, we are talking about our producer David Rosen's pick, which is Peter Jackson's Dead Alive. And as we said earlier, we have talked a lot about Peter Jackson on this podcast. This is our third Peter Jackson episode, so I don't know if we need to go over no, his whole career again. i
1: don't I don't think so. I don't think we do, Josh.
0: yeah. but but this is this is the close of his, quote, "splatter period as we talked about uh, this is his third film following Bad Taste" and "Meet the Feebles," and he uh, transitioned away from that after this film.:
1: Yeah, you know, Josh, of all the movies we've covered on "Awesome Movie Year, I felt this viewing experience was closest to when we watched cemetery man in the first season yeah, because mm. it's just so insane. And the stuff that happens, you're just like, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> you know? like that, so, that, that
0: meme of the guy with his hands in the air saying, I guess. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about Jackson and Fran Walsh and, you know, um, look, we'll see, we'll see, you know, he's going to do the get back, Uh, rooftop concert for the Beatles and we know he loves working in that documentary field and he's great at it so he should but Stephen Sinclair was the other writer on this he's a novelist a playwright he made a movie called Russian Snark that I'd like to see and uh, he was also a co-writer on the two towers so um, I think that that kind of covers the creative team you mentioned Lionel who you did not like he's extremely successful in New Zealand first as an actor he was on shows like Mercy Peak and uh and Shortland Street and now he's the head writer on a very popular show that your mom probably watches and i'm not saying that insultingly i know how she likes international television but the broken wood mysteries and 800 words
0: yeah timothy balm is that guy's name his name is not actually lionel that's the character's name just to, right. to to give him some credit but but yeah i mean these aren't people any of the actors in this film they aren't they aren't people that we're familiar with really here in the US beyond this but they have been successful, had had decent careers. And one thing I want to say about Peter Jackson, it's sort of amazing to me to realize that he hasn't made a narrative film since 2014 and doesn't seem to have anything in the works on that level. Jason, as you mentioned, he's busy with all the Beatles stuff, I guess. Is he doing another Beatles?
1: Yeah, he's going to do the concert of uh, that. I thought that was released
0: already as like his own its own separate thing that was put out in theaters at least is maybe I don't th-
1: I don't know maybe but I mean you know the they shall never grow old I thought was incredible like I think it's a great documentary and the best use of technology I've ever seen for a documentary you know how he made them um, alive again, pretty much in the wor- World War One and everything. So they were,
0: they were much like zombies. In fact,
1: <laughs> no. no, they're not alive. They're undead, Josh. That's different. Okay, um, yeah,
0: that's true. Not to insult those those tragically killed World War One <laughs> veterans,
1: but I, I wrote down for because you had mentioned, you know, and like you know, we know it's a growing industry, and Taika Watiti's kind of picked up the the flag, so to speak. But uh, on Criterion, you know, there's a whole section of like. Aboriginal films right now. Um, and then each of these actors, like Timothy Baum, I wrote down Jack Brown Genius, which was a movie he was in. That's the one I want to see, actually. I,
2: I've never seen it and I don't think it's available anywhere, like probably on a DVD or something, but it's supposed to be like
1: as a cult thing. It's supposed to be pretty great. Cool. We'll have to look at it, you know. Yeah. We'll have to try to find it. Um, Vera, the mom played by Elizabeth Moody, was in Heavenly Creatures, which we've talked about and we all love, right? Yes. You know. And then Ian Watkin, who played Uncle Les, was in Sleeping Dogs from 1977, which I think is on Canopy right now. And it's the first 35 millimeter film ever shot completely in New Zealand. And he was also in uh, Attack of the Clones and Charlotte's Web. But um, Sleeping Dogs was the, the film that launched Sam Neill. So I'd, I'd like to see that. Hmm. Jack of all trades, also Stuart uh, Devaney, who played Father Magruder. And he was also in a show called The Almighty Johnson's.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a, a fairly thriving film industry in New Zealand, despite the fact that it is, is a very small country and some big international stars or at least um, filmmaking stars like Taika Waititi and, and Peter Jackson himself. And and one thing, you you know, you got to credit Peter Jackson for is that he became this huge international filmmaker, but he's always put resources back into the film industry in New Zealand that he didn't just leave for Hollywood and leave New Zealand behind. Um, and uh, you know, we talked about the effects over and over and over again here in this film. Richard Taylor, who was one of the main uh, effects designer here on this film, was the founder of uh, WIDA Workshop, which is of course the the massive special effects company that that Peter Jackson has supported and used on all of his films, but also on tons of other major films like the Avatar movies and and lots of other stuff. It's one of the major special effects companies in the world. So from the beginnings of this movie come this huge special effects like Empire.
1: I think it's very cool. Like we talked about it on the Lord of the Rings episode, how much uh, they contribute to just the GDP of their home country, right? They've basically fostered an entire industry along with Taylor, uh, Bob McCarron, who is both a uh, doctor and a special effects uh you know expert was uh the other man in charge of the special effects here and he can be seen on shows like i'm a celebrity get me out of here british edition as dr bob
0: yeah and i think he's not an actual doctor he just is called doctor
1: he's a medic he's a medic yeah. and he like so he's like a set medic a lot mm-hmm. but he's uh, also a special effects expert
0: yeah very uh versatile guy <laughs> there so I don't know. I think, well, he's George Miller, who's Australian, not not New Zealand, but, you know, this the same sort of industry, I think, wasn't he also a medic or a doctor or something before? He was a, a doctor, doctor. Yeah. 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 So that's an interesting career path to take. But yeah, I mean, we, this movie is ridiculous, but it is sort of the the source for a lot of really major filmmaking talent that made a huge impact on on Hollywood and on the film industry in general, over the course of the next several decades.
1: And what um, you know, what what goes into this category today is it like human centipede films, or what what is it right now?
0: Yeah, I don't. know. I mean, we were just talking about this kind of thing. I think when we were talking about man bites dog, and I mentioned human centipede, and those are more. I mean, those are more on the level. I think of man bites dog, where it's meant to be shocking in the sense of like breaking taboos or whatever. Right. And trying to make audiences offended or whatever. I, I feel like no one would be offended by Dead Alive. You might be grossed out about by it. you might not enjoy it, but it's so good natured and silly. again, it's like being offended by Bugs Bunny. like right it, yeah, that's not gonna happen. So I feel like there are I'm you know they're not coming to mind right now, but I feel like there are so many low budget horror movies, and in part because if you don't have like an interesting story, or great actors or anything like that. If you put a bunch of spurting blood on the screen, there's a certain kind of fan base that will just eat that up. And I feel like if I've been to horror film festivals or, you know, our friend, Chad Clinton Freeman, who used to have his Polygrind festival here. And I've seen movies like that, that are extremely low budget where they're just gross from beginning to end. And that's all they have going for them.
1: And, um, when i was reading about this they were saying in england they found it like the the film board found it so delightful so cartoonish that they were like we'll just let anyone 15 year older come into this film and then you know they got shot down by it but i was thinking you know josh not for gore but for like the cartoonish and uh wonderfully entertaining violent stuff like you could go to like kung fury or turbo kid or joe carnahan stuff and just like sit back, eat popcorn, and and just let the explosions and the fists fly.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Kung Fury. I mean, I think of something like Kung Fu Hustle or Stephen Chow, his films Mm -hmm. that are these like martial artsy type films like um, or Shaolin Soccer, but they're basically just cartoons. And I hate those movies. So I think this (laughs) is kind of like, it's, it's showing me the spectrum. I really can't stand that stuff.
1: Yeah, well, wait until Shaolin pissing and shitting comes Right, out. then no it's noir. just the
0: combination of things <laughs> that I find extremely annoying. And uh, that will be a movie solely designed to annoy me. And
1: I would love that if there was a movie that you had to watch that was just there to annoy you. That yeah, it seems it like a very day. poor
0: use of someone's filmmaking budget
1: it's a bit mean, unnecessary it made me it targeted. would make me happy yeah there you go these over the
2: top like gore comedy movies like this that they really don't make that many of them lately and so when they do get to be gory and funny it, it always is like a nice treat i feel like i should give a shout out to james Gunn's the suicide squad which i did not expect to be good but it was actually as far as superhero movies go was pretty fun and was surprisingly gory for a mainstream release. So I think that's a good example of a recent one. Also from 2020, there was an Australian movie called Bloody Hell that we covered up piecing it together that um, not a lot of people saw, but it was uh, definitely in the evil dead, dead alive kind of, uh, you know, vein. And it was very gory, very ridiculous. And what about um, psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman, I think could possibly fit as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so too. And I, I kind of like psycho Gorman. And I think, you know, speaking of James Gunn, Trauma is probably carrying on this tradition in a lot of their super super low budget films and, and Lloyd Kaufman's stuff that he does and James Gunn came up through trauma and there's also a japanese tradition of yeah. these kinds of over the top gore movies movies like like Tokyo Gore Police and um which i haven't seen but there's one called like Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl or something i feel like that's not quite the title but that i did see in a theater with like a midnight movie type of audience that is just you know, at a certain point, it's like there is no plot anymore. It's just more uh, insane, blood spurting, limbs flying, stuff spurting. What else can we throw out there?
2: Speaking of that, ho- I'm hopeful for uh, speaking of awesome movie or royalty, uh, that new Toxic Avenger reboot with uh, yeah. Peter Dinklage and directed by Macon Blair that hopefully will carry on this tradition a little bit. I hope so. I'll with, root these, for that.
0: with those people, it seems almost like they're trying to make it respectable. So I don't. Know. Hopefully, that's not <laughs> bad what you're doing. mistake. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I hope not. not. So, anything else on the legacy of this film that you want to mention, Jason? What? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't quite work in audio. I don't think there's no there's no gore focused audio dramas. I don't think that would ever really. Plot. That's squish, sure. squish,
2: squish, squish. Yeah, yeah. Just macaroni bowls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not quite. <laughs>
0: So that is Dead Uh, Alive, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on social media.
1: You sure can. I'm still Jason Harris Comedy on Facebook and Instagram, Jay Harris Comedy on Twitter. Also, I have some new Instagrams, Josh. How exciting. You can follow me at Eat This Comedy for my uh, mashup comedy slash dinner shows that I curate with uh, some of the best restaurants around, and the trivia party for our Excellent uh, take on trivia nights throughout Las Vegas and hopefully beyond. And, you know, there's always movie rounds there. Um, Josh, I'm on Letterboxd at Go for Jason, and I will have websites. But right now, my website, goforjason.com, was murdered by Peter Jackson inside of a lawnmower. Oh. We're at awesomemovieyear.com. Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter.
0: So many things to follow.
1: <laughs> yeah, get cracking. Pause it. Follow, follow, follow. Pause it. Follow, follow. All right, Josh, go ahead. Plug away.
0: <laughs> um, I am at joshbellhateseverything.com, which is also not really worth much, but Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd, where I do post some thoughts on various films. Check all of those out. And for more gore-related musings, you can listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together.
2: Yes, you can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at piecingpod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Lots of great movie conversations in there. And I'm sure people can recommend some insane movies like this to go watch.
0: Yes, indeed. So Jason, speaking of insane movies, what do we have in our next episode?
1: Josh, it's our cult classic, which could have been this entire season, I feel like. So we really had to pull out a cult, cult classic here. A cult, cult, cult classic? Maybe. Sure. It's shakes The Clown.
0: And talk about repulsive movies. So tune in next time for "Shakes The Clown. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for
2: listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.
0: An All Points West production produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.